<clears throat> I think that is the moment that every child of a church staff member fears. Never had to call my kids out from the pulpit. Not saying I won't. Hadn't had to do it before. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, man, it is good to see you all this morning. I'm excited today. We are going to finish up this short, short section we've been going through uh, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, his committed followers. Uh, you know, there's a, a saying um, that you guys have heard before where a preacher will say, man, that'll preach, right? Y'all have heard that before? Mike, that'll preach, man. I'm gonna, next time, we're just going to let you have the pulpit and uh, we'll go from there. I think we'd be in good shape. Um, so last week, we talked about the importance of context. I had a meme up here and I didn't explain it, but there was a picture of a, a toilet and on the back of the toilet was a sign that said, life is short, lick the bowl. And if you don't get the joke, it's because it's not talking about licking the bowl of the toilet. I felt like that was obvious. I think there were a couple of people who were like, what? Um, context is important, right? We, we talked about that last week and I want to I want to reintroduce that again because Jesus has got some strong words for his disciples here at the end of the section. He's going to share two illustrations today, um, and, and, and they're going to be humbling, right? And so I want us to remember the context in which Jesus is giving this teaching. He's not teaching the unbelieving crowds. After the Sermon on the Mount, he gathers the disciples up, those that are committed followers of him, and he's teaching them these very specific things about what it means to be his disciple, what it means to live in the kingdom. So today, uh, as we are looking at these challenging words from Jesus, I want us to keep in mind that he's talking to those of us that claim to be his followers, that those that claim to be his disciples, okay? Importantly, we're going to see today that our adherence to Jesus's directions will exponentially impact our lives and the church's message. These closing sections are kind of the capstone that complete this message that Jesus uses to define the kind of life that he has called each of us to live and the response that he expects from a disciple. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to love our enemies. We talked about um, living without judgment and condemnation of others. And these two short illustrations that Jesus uses in these final verses of chapter 6 or to help us to understand the application of those messages. He's saying, okay, I've taught you these things. Here's what that looks like in your everyday life. He wants to make it abundantly clear what the life of a disciple looks like. Are you all ready for that this morning? Okay, good. I'm glad at least you are awake. Here we go. All right, so for generations, it has been evident. And I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, oh, yeah. It's evident that there's been a fundamental understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, okay? Many of us have spent years detoxing from the church's false teachings and subver subversion of the gospel message. The desire for a lot of things, wealth, power, control, all of those drove the message and the mission of the church rather than the Holy Spirit. And this produced a culture that doesn't understand the mission of Jesus. And they have in turn created disciples who don't know Jesus. And I'll be the first to admit, I was a part of that culture, and many of us also were part of that culture. And I know that it would be easy to hear me saying those words and think to yourself, Will, did you hear the sermon that you preached last week about judgment and condemnation? And I would answer that by saying, yes. The difference is, hear me on this, that it's not me saying this. It's Jesus. There is a major difference between judgment and condemnation and a diagnosis. 
And the things that Jesus is saying today, I want us to think about it in that way. When you go to the doctor, when you know that something is wrong, you're not going there. And when the doctor examines you and looks at your body and says, here's what's wrong, here's how we fix it, that's not judgment and condemnation. That's a diagnosis. There is something in us that is wrong that needs to be corrected. And as we hear these words of Jesus today, I want us to see it in that light, that this is not judgment, it's not condemnation, it's diagnosis. And, and a diagnosis always is followed up with a plan for healing. And that's where Jesus is going to take us next, okay? If we think about Jesus in his time in ministry, as we've read through the beginning of Luke and as we finish out Luke over the next however long, we're going to see that Jesus is constantly challenging the religious leaders of his day because they are, they're teaching what, they're, what they are replicating is missing the point of what God intended. They created a religion that was focused on something other than God. It was focused on adherence to the law. It was focused on trying to be perfect. And the same is true of our religion today. As we read this passage today, we're going to see for ourselves just how far from the gospel message the church has gone. And this is not new information for us. All of us have experienced it. All of us know people who've experienced this. I spent two days this week with a young man who grew up in a Christian denomination whose focus was on controlling its people. Religion was used in his life for discipline. It was used for manipulation. It was used for a way to get him to do the things that his parents and the church wanted. And as a result of that, anytime anybody says anything about God or the church or a Christian, he's backing away. He wants nothing to do with them. Now, I knew that he and I were going to go spend two days together this week, and so Bethany and I were talking about it last Sunday evening on the heels of uh, this message about judgment and condemnation, and I asked her to pray for me as I spend two days with this guy, that as we're having conversation, that he would come to understand the truth about who Jesus is and what he came to do, that he could separate that in his mind from the things that he had learned about God through the church. In this message from Jesus, he's explaining the kind of men and women that he has called us to be, representatives of his Father, representatives of the kingdom. So let's look at this first example in verse 43 and 45, and then make some application for our lives. Jesus says, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes aren't picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Now, I know I've shared this example at least a few times with you guys over the years, but when we bought my house from my grandmother, there was a crepe myrtle tree in the side of the yard. Do y'all remember what it was on it? Anybody remember this example? Excellent. Good. Okay, maybe I haven't told as many times as I thought. There were um, little fake foam red delicious looking apples hanging on this tree. I don't know why. I'm sure that one of her grandkids did it because it was fun. I don't know. But the point is, is that it's a crepe myrtle tree. And just because somebody put fake apples on it did not magically turn it into an apple tree. Correct? We all agree. Like if you'll get one of those and you take a bite out of it, you're going to be very, very disappointed. It's not an apple. Okay. This first part of this verse in which Jesus says that good fruit doesn't come from bad trees and bad fruit doesn't come from good trees is a diagnostic tool. Remember, we talked about this is about diagnosis. It allows us to look at the fruit in our lives and see where we are. What is the fruit of my, of my life? What is the overflow of my heart? 
Jesus isn't looking at the surface. He's looking much, much deeper. Have you ever bought um, the, a pack of those cherry tomatoes? I don't remember what, there's a couple of different brands, but they sell them at Walmart and Sam's and places like that, and they're in a plastic container. It's got like a yellow or a red bottom on it. You're just supposed to rinse them, and then you pop them, and you eat them, and they're wonderful. Have you ever pulled one of those out of there and eaten it, and it was not good? It was rotten on the inside? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. Okay, was that an enjoyable experience? Absolutely not. I have a friend I met the other day who refuses to eat cherry tomatoes because of one of those kinds of experiences. They ate one, it was nasty, and they're like, I'm done with it. Because it's not like you can sample it and smell it because you just don't know until you eat it. I've had grapes that do that to me before too. Here, here's the point is, is that when fruit is eaten, you know immediately whether it's good or bad, right? First point I want us to understand today, this is the first point out of the message is, how we live and treat others is the fruit that they partake in. Okay? In this example that Jesus is using, it is clear that good fruit is the goal. Everybody agree to that, right? We're not trying to be bad fruit. Okay? No one wants to be bad fruit, but the fruit of our lives will either draw people to God or it's going to drive them away from God. Look at verse 44 again. He says, for each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes and grapes aren't picked from a, a bramble bush. Church, whether you realize it or not, Every interaction you have with someone is revealing the kind of tree that you are. Every interaction. It reveals your beliefs about yourself. It reveals your beliefs about Jesus. And it reveals how you feel about the person that you are interacting with. We talk about sharing the gospel all the time. But Jesus wants the disciples to understand that everything that they do and everything that they say is communicating something about the kingdom of God. The same is true for you and I that call ourselves disciples of Jesus. He's teaching this because he came to redefine the nature of the relationship that God wants to have with, with the humanity that he created. There was this great misunderstanding in the religious leaders of that day about what it meant to live in right relationship with God. And so Jesus comes to change all that. He comes to help us to understand who his father is and the way he wants to interact with us. There was such a, a focus on their religion, on everything except the relationship with God. Their interactions with God had been reduced to guilt and shame regarding their ability to fulfill the law. And God wanted so much more for his creation. God wants us to walk with him in the garden. That's what he created us for. To walk in the garden, to enjoy the fruits of the earth that he created. To know and to be known by him. That is why we were created. So Jesus comes to correct humanity's course. He came to, to steer us back towards God instead of allowing us to continue moving away from God. And as a disciple of Jesus, we are responsible for living as he did and continuing his mission of revealing and steering people back towards the truth about who God is. Church, this is a huge responsibility, but it's laid upon us. The fruit of our lives is what reveals God to the world. And we must ask ourselves, are we producing good fruit or are we producing bad fruit? We ask ourselves this because Jesus makes the point to show us that our lives matter in the kingdom. The way that we live, the fruit that is produced through us educates the world about who God is. It reveals something and we hope that it's truth. But the condition of the church is a direct result of the fruit that it is produced. The negative experiences that I've had in the church, the negative experiences, experiences that you have had in the church are the result of bad fruit. 
And often that bad fruit was dressed up like an apple on a crepe myrtle tree. Or it looked like a perfect tomato inside of that perfect tomato box. But church, it only takes one bad tomato to ruin your taste for them, right? This man that I spent a couple of days with, that's where he is right now. He's had enough bad tomatoes in his life to know that he's not a tomato eater. He's done with it. Unless he has an opportunity to taste a good one again. So how do we produce good fruit? If the church has gotten it wrong, how do we get it right? What do we do? How do we course correct? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. Because point number two today is that good fruit is the result of living in an abiding relationship with Jesus. I hope you guys are not tired of hearing me or Glenn or somebody else preach about abiding. I appreciate Lizzie praying about it this morning. It's because it is the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Church, hundreds of thousands of churches today, this morning, committed to, and they're preaching the scriptures just like I'm doing. And that's a vital part of the process of being a believer is understanding who God is. However, if we never put that knowledge to use in our lives, we have missed the point. Knowledge about God did not lead God's people to a right relationship with him before Jesus came. Amen? Everybody agree to that? So Jesus came. And knowledge about God will not lead people to know God today either. Jesus is the key to bringing that knowledge from our minds into our hearts. And Paul is a great example of this. He was fully committed to the Jewish religion. And he persecuted the church as a result of the beliefs that he held. But after his conversion to Christianity, and he looked back, he realized how empty that religion was. Look at his words in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 4 through 9. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay, he's setting the groundwork. He's saying, you think you got confidence in the flesh? I got even more than you. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Jesus Christ. He's saying when it came to, to fulfilling the law, I'm the guy that everybody else measures up to. I did it perfectly. But when I looked at that compared to what Jesus did on the cross, I count it as nothing. He goes on to say in verse 8, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul is, is exhorting the church. He's trying to help us understand. He's being so clear that his religious leader status before his encounter with Jesus is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Paul lived under the law. He spent his entire life knowing it and doing it perfectly. And even though he did do all of those things, God revealed on the road to Damascus that he had missed the point. That the point wasn't to try to be perfect. Knowledge about God is not the same as knowing God. And it took a life-altering encounter with God for Paul to realize this. Reminds me of the story that Mike shared this morning. God had to literally blind him so that he could see the truth of who Jesus was. 
Church, just knowing a lot about God does not produce good fruit in our lives. Paul is a prime example of that. This is why we have and will continue to talk about abiding so much. We know by experience that when we operate outside of God's guidance, we lead ourselves and others farther from God, not closer to Him. So in the context of of being good fruit, let's look at what Jesus teaches about abiding in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that does produce fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is able to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. There's three things I want to draw out from this passage today and apply to what Jesus is teaching. The first thing is that branches are either removed or they're pruned. Okay? As we think about the church as a whole, about our church, about our own lives, we need to remember that the life of a branch will not be without difficulty. If we're not producing fruit, God's going to remove us. If we are producing fruit, God's going to prune us. In either situation, God is active in the process of shaping his own kingdom. It's him doing it. And if we're not helping or hurting the process, God's going to deal with us as he sees fit. If we're helping in the process, God is going to work in our lives to make us even more fruitful than we already are. The pruning can take different forms, but all of them are going to require changes in our lives. And change isn't always fun. It isn't always pleasurable, but it's necessary if we're going to be made more like Jesus. Point number two out of this passage is that branches only produce when they are connected to the vine. The only way we can ever produce good fruit is by being connected to the vine. And apart from Jesus, we can never produce good fruit. We can hang those good-looking apples on that crepe myrtle tree, but it don't make it an apple tree. Through connection to the vine, we are teaching people that this is the kind of activity that God wants. This is the kind of relationship that he wants to have with his people. Only good fruit produced by a branch connected to the vine reveals the kingdom of God. I want you to hear me say that. I'm going to say it one more time. Only fruit produced by a branch that is connected to the vine reveals the true nature of the kingdom of God. Any branch that's not connected to the vine, if it has fruit on it, it's not kingdom fruit. It is not what Jesus would describe as good fruit. In verse 45 of Luke 6, Jesus says, A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Church, we get to decide what kind of fruit we're going to produce. Okay? Just like Adam and Eve had a choice when God put them in the garden, whether or not they were going to obey or disobey, we have the same choice. Jesus is laying it out here. He's making it completely clear and plain. You want to be a part of my kingdom, 
I want you to produce good fruit. Here's how you do it. Abide in me. But this is where the rubber meets the road, as they say. Jesus goes on. Let's look at the next illustration in Luke 6, 46 through 49. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I will show you what someone is like when he comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. Point number three for today is if we only hear the words of Jesus but never do them, we are setting ourselves and others up for destruction. It's worth pointing out that there is a person or persons among the disciples who are obviously not fully committed to the cause, who are not really followers of Jesus, but they're hanging out because it feels good. Jesus doesn't call them out by name, but he absolutely calls them out. You know, I shared that story about my friend this morning, his experience with the church. His experiences, and perhaps some of yours, are the result of the very kind of thing that Jesus is calling somebody out about. Jesus didn't pull any punches here. He's making it clear that our obedience is the difference between life and death, both for ourselves and for the people around us. The idea that what we do in our own personal lives doesn't really affect anybody else, Jesus is saying that is not true. The things that we do, the decisions that we make absolutely matter in the kingdom. Hearing the Holy Spirit and doing what, it said, doing what he says is the difference maker in our lives. There's a desire in all of us, right, to want the best for our lives. We're born that way. We want what's good for us. We're wired in that way. But many have looked at this message of Jesus and the fact that he died to forgive us of our sins, and they recognize their need for his salvation. They think to themselves, that salvation, that eternal life will be good for me, and I want that. However, I also recognize that if I'm going to do that, I'm supposed to be obedient to this guy named Jesus, but I don't really want that part because I still want to live it for myself. And so they want to accept the salvation, but they don't want to commit their, their lives to Jesus. And there's a break that happens there. I'm not saying that if you've never been obedient that you're not a believer, but I am saying you ought to talk to Jesus about that because I'm not the judge. This is a diagnostic tool. But what I am saying is that if we are disciples of Jesus... Our natural response will be to live in obedience, to hear his voice and to do what he says. There's so many people that want Jesus to sacrifice, but they want it on their terms. They want to set the limits on things. In other words, they want to be in control of their lives, which by the way, they can totally do. Just like Adam and Eve, I talked about it a minute ago. God gives us the choice. He lays it out and says, which one would you prefer? He's not forcing himself on us. He's not pushing himself on us. But he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, here's what it's going to cost. This is what I expect from you. This is what your life is going to look like if you follow me. In this example, Jesus is making it clear that both, both, uh, both men had the opportunity to build their foundations correctly. One built it correctly, and the other did not. And he makes very clear what happens in both situations. Jesus says that the one who hears his words and obeys is like the one who built a proper foundation. 
The one who hears and does not obey is the house that was destroyed. Every person who hears the gospel has the same opportunity. We can either hear and obey or we can hear and disobey. Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is where we all begin with a choice. We realize our need for a Savior. We realize that we're born in sin and the choice is laid out before us. Do you want salvation or do you not? But it's so much more than a simple choice. It's deciding between eternal death and separation from God or eternal life, which begins at the moment of salvation, the moment that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you confess that with your mouth. That eternal life, that life in the kingdom begins at that moment. It's not for something that happens when you die. When you trust your, 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 your life in Jesus' hand, when you say, I want you to be the Lord of my life, when you are saved, to use a churchy word, the kingdom life begins at that moment. You at that moment have chosen to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus wants the disciples, he wants us to realize that this message and his life were not about ethical behavior or religious activity. It's so much more than that. This is about why we do what we do. We follow Jesus, not because we have to, but because we see how much he loved us and what he did for us. And we say, I I want others to know about this. The reason is so important. James, we looked at this a couple of, I don't know, a year ago when we went through James. In chapter 1, verse 22, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. God's intention has always been for us to hear his voice and to do what he says. And Jesus is looking at the heart of every person who calls themselves a follower. He sees the reason why we do what we do. He knows if we're good fruit or bad fruit. He sees our motivation and he points out in verse 46 that confession without obedience is meaningless. Look at it. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? He wants us to understand that if we build our house on any foundation that's not him, that house will fall. Our blessedness and escape from God's divine judgment depend on how we respond to Jesus. He's going to look at our motivation and our action, and he's going to determine where our hearts are. Jesus wraps up the message of his disciples with these two illustrations. And they are designed for those that hear it to examine their own lives, to let God use that diagnostic tool to figure out where their heart is and to make changes accordingly. But good fruit only comes through an abiding relationship with Jesus. If we hear Jesus' words and we don't obey, we have not understood his salvation. Jesus draws a clear line in the sand. He's he's sorting the sheep from the goats like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And the question is, which side of that line are you going to choose to stand on? Because it's completely up to you. God's not going to make you do anything, but Jesus is making it abundantly clear what's required for us to stand with the sheep. God wants us to have a relationship with him, but it's up to us. If we're going to be his disciples, then we've got to choose to abide, to hear his voice, and to do what he says. Any other decision leads us away from God, and we are not his disciples. The choice is ours. The choice is yours. One of my devotions this morning from Tozer uh, references where Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. Tozer talks about how 
pastors are going to stand up in their pulpits today and they're going to, they're going to preach for revival and they're going to preach prayer of intercession. But so few will preach the message of obedience. It's easy to pray. It's hard to obey. It's easy to pray. It's hard to obey. Because it's hard to set aside our own desires and to live for somebody else. In life, we're going to build a foundation of some kind. And we get to decide what kind of foundation it's going to be. That foundation can be on, uh, built upon the God that created all things. Or it can be built upon the things that we create in our own power. But Jesus is clear that the storms of life are going to reveal the foundation that we've chosen to build. Jesus is challenging us to examine our lives. To consider our fruit and our foundations. Last week we talked about living without judgment and condemnation. And we spent some time discussing that in life groups and talking about what that means for each of us. What were our experiences with that and how do we respond? This week we're going to have an opportunity to look at our lives individually and corporately as a group and say what kind of fruit are we producing? What kind of foundation are we laying for ourselves and for our families and for the people around us? The way we live matters. If we're a follower of Jesus, he's making it clear that it matters what we do. Let's pray. Father, it's hard sometimes to to look at our own lives and to, to let you examine it. Father, I ask that in each of our lives that you would give us the, the boldness and the courage to let you look, to let you diagnose the areas of our life where we're not trusting you completely. Father, as we're, as we're letting you do that, I ask that we would experience your love and your grace and your peace as you work that sin out of our lives. And Father, you would prepare our hearts this week that as we think about this message that you have for us, as we think about the things that you're teaching your disciples, Father, you would give us the desire to choose to be good fruit, to walk in obedience to you, to hear your voice and to do the things that you say even when they're difficult. Father, I know as well as any how hard it is sometimes to lay aside our own pride and to walk in obedience. Father, I ask first for myself that you would give me the strength to do that. And I ask that also for my brothers and sisters in this room. Father, that we would move in obedience regardless of what we feel like it's going to cost us, knowing that you have our best in mind. Knowing that pruning is the only way we will ever produce more I ask this in your name and for our sake.